Well, welcome to all our listeners. This is Reflections from Budapest, Religion, State and Society podcast, where we look at issues of religious conflict, religious violence and reconciliation. My name is Sharon Sugar. I'm a researcher at the Danube Institute. This is the new episode in our series of podcasts that focus on Judaism and anti-Semitism in Hungary. The series follows the publication of our two-volume book titled Anti-Semitism in Hungary, Appearance and Reality, which was published by the Hellenic Historical Press in the US. This is part two of our discussion with our special guest, Rabbi Robert Fleurik, who is the chief rabbi of Hungary and the chief rabbi of the Dohány Street Synagogue since 1993. In 1991, he joined the Ministry of Defense, where he first was a religious expert, and then in 1995, he was appointed as a brigadier general. He became the chief rabbi of Hungary in 2021. Let me introduce my colleagues, Professor Jeffrey Kaplan, a distinguished fellow at the Danube Institute, and Tomás Orbán, a senior research fellow at the Danube Institute. Thank you for joining us, Rabbi Frelich. To begin with, something that we haven't discussed in the first part, which is um, the institution of a chief rabbi. You are the chief rabbi of Hungary. What significance that role has? And also, what authority does that give to you? Well, uh, to be the chief rabbi of Hungary in the Majihis, it's like a, a protocol function, almost like a protocol function. Uh, officially, the chief rabbi is uh, primus inter pares. He is uh, the main religious leader of, of uh, the Majihis. I don't have any authority <clears throat> above my, my colleagues or, or uh, anyone. I'm not a, a boss of anyone. Uh, I have uh, the honor and I have the responsibility uh, when there's some kind of, of problem or big question, which uh, which happens a lot. They always say, let's ask the chief rabbi. And if the chief rabbi says something, I don't have the power to 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 make it. I have the power to say, to make the difference. And they do not uh, do as I said. I'm, I'm the one who, who can be blamed. Because you said so. Okay, I said. <laughs> so it's a, it's, it's a protocol function, mainly. So another question to begin, what is often striking to outside observers is how deeply divided the Hungarian Jewish community really is. What are the reasons for the conflict between Majihis and Orthodox leaders? And maybe a harder question, do you think it can be changed in the future? What is the reason? Uh, shortly, the reason is the eternal reason of conflicts. Money makes our world go. We mentioned that uh, it was a forced marriage between the Orthodox and the, the neo-local uh, communities. And of course, after the political changes, we had the same budget. And from the budget, they had a certain amount and, and the neolog movement had a certain amount. And of course, uh, this amount 
was very, very few for them. It was few for us. And always there was arguing about, uh, uh, you don't give us uh, the money we, we deserve. Uh, we have right for more, more money. So uh, what I say it can be, it can be checked uh, by the uh, archives. So that's why I'm so brave to, <laughs> to say <laughs> it. Uh, so this is the main problem. And of course, ideological problems we had. The Orthodox and the Neolog, they were never uh, close to each other. They were never uh, friends for a lifelong term. And the, because of these uh, ideological differences, they, they took uh, another road and they, they parted from, from the Majis. Uh, I don't think that there will be uh, a marriage again between these two parties. But I do hope that there will be a cooperation and there will be a, a good relationship between uh, the two faith groups. Maybe in, in uh, the near future. I'm optimistic. To counter that optimism a bit, <laughs> there is a court case taking place in the Beit Din, or the um, religious court in Jerusalem now, between Mozahis and the Orthodox community, which I think is Emmy and the small Orthodox community that is that is um, leading, fronting the lawsuit. And essentially, could you tell our listeners what this case is about and why it's in Jerusalem as opposed to Hungary? As far as I remember, I quoted that money makes our world go round. Mm -hmm. So this was it about. <laughs> yeah, 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 of course. Uh, <laughs> It was about the money, of course, uh, shortly. During the uh, so-called communist regime, the property of uh, the Jewish communities were taken away, real estate, uh, money, and so on and so on. Plus, the property of uh, the Jewish uh, communities or families who were murdered during the World War II, during the Holocaust, without uh, heirs, was taken away by the uh, government. And after the political changes, uh, the Mojihis, as the only representative of the Hungarian uh, Jewish communities at that time, made an agreement with uh, the Hungarian government that they want back this, this, this uh, real estate in their forms, and which uh, the real estate and the, the money that uh, we cannot uh, take back will go to a restitution fund. And this is a restitution forever and ever and ever, and one more day. This is the money. This money. Uh, uh, covers the budget of uh, the Majihis. Everything. Everything. So, the government does not support us, but the government takes us the money which, uh, which is mandatory to give, uh, to give us. And when the Amish uh, was founded, 
they started to ask their part from that money. I think this is the, the main crime, that they wanted their own share. When this agreement was signed between the Moshis and the, the government, there was no Emish. And there was no reformed Jewish uh, communities too. There was only the Moshihis, the Orthodox and the Neonor. And now uh, there's a third party which wants uh, his own uh, piece of cake from, from the cake. And the Moshihis said, okay, I give you this and this. And they said, I want more. Now it's enough for you. No, I want more. So they went to Jerusalem. They, uh, they sued us at the Beit Din, the rabbinical court. And why in Jerusalem? Uh, I think this is a, a kind of propaganda because uh, it, it uh, was a show for, for the non-Jews. And for the non-Jews, when you say Rome, means a higher authority. And they thought that they showed it to the non-Jews that we sued the Majlis in Jerusalem, it's a higher authority. But according to the Jewish law, uh, Jerusalem is uh, not higher authority than Karakoserchek or Pomaz. <laughs> <laughs> but I think this was uh, the reason. And of course, the, the, they didn't in Jerusalem uh, brought a verdict against the Majlis. No end what. Nothing happened. A very few that we interviewed when we were doing the research over two years that resulted in the volumes, whether they came from the Orthodox community or the Neolog, nobody believed that the Mazahis would win that suit simply because it was an Orthodox community in an Orthodox court. Uh, well, uh, I, 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 I wouldn't say that it was impossible to win, but uh, it was hard. It was hard. Uh, the same, uh, I don't know, I can't say it in, in English, I'm sorry, egyenlő pálya, egyenlő esélyek, dők biciklivel mentek. Which means um, equal chances on an equal track, but they had bicycles. Ah. So, <laughs> there we go. Thank you, thank you. Uh, so, uh, they said that they went to Jerusalem because uh, the court in Jerusalem is objective. And formerly they were right, because the court in Jerusalem didn't know anyone, nor the emir, nor the, the Orthodox community, nor Majihis, nor the Hungarian government, because the Hungarian government was sued too, just for the record. Uh, they didn't know anyone of us, formerly, of course. But as you said, emir is a Chabad, and the Orthodox community, they went to an Orthodox court. Mm. And the Mojihis uh, is uh, in a prejudice that it's a reformed uh, organization, they are not Jews and so on. Huh? It, it would be uh, a miracle if the Mojihis would won this war. Mm. Hungary will win the World Cup one day, who knows? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. To change the subject a bit, in our research, the main thing we were looking for is whether anti-Semitism in Hungary still and exists and phenomena or not. And 
Is anti-Semitism, in your view, a major problem in Hungary today? And how does it compare to the situation of Hungary a decade ago? Well, if it's a main problem or not, it depends on who you ask. If you ask uh, anyone in the street, they will not uh, say that it's in, in the top 10. If you ask a Jew, it's in the top one. Uh, anti-Semitism is is always uh, a main problem for the Jews. When you go out and ask anyone in the street, okay, you see that the, the economic situation is, is growing harder and harder. What do you think why it is? They say it's because of the Jews. Maybe they're the third or the fourth reason, but you're gonna find the Jews among the reasons. This is anti-Semitism, I think. Uh, and if so, it's a great problem, not only for us. I think it's a great problem for the society, for the whole society. Uh, now, when uh, there are problems and you have to find a scapegoat to blame, it's a problem. Uh, and you find the scapegoat and you frame them because of the problems, it's a bigger problem. Uh, and if you find the same scapegoat as they found, let's say, 100 years ago, it's not a problem, it's a tragedy. This is my opinion about it. However, in our interviews with members of the Orthodox community, we were told that the fact that they can appear in public with visibly Jewish appearance without any harassment or violence, suggests that the problem is not as great as the Mojahist leadership would say it is. One, what is. What is your take on it? You want me to comment this? Yes, please. Yeah, yeah. I don't want. I want to comment it. Uh, let, okay, let me comment it. During the so-called communist regime, there was the press which maybe uh, coincidentally said always the same as uh, the only party said, the Communist Party. The point of view of uh, the press was the same as the point of view of uh, the propaganda of the party, the Communist Party. This is my comment. Who has ears, hear it. All right. <laughs> so just, <clears throat> yeah, I think that's enough on that, but just a bit further, the Western perception in the media and government is that anti-Semitism is a real threat in Hungary, and yet the latest study, as reported at the European Jewish Association meeting in June, was that the best places in Europe for Jews to live are Italy and Hungary. Okay. So how do you explain this disconnect? There are Jews, yeah, 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 there are some kind of Jews, uh, uh, very clearly uh, bordered group. For them, this is the best place. Uh, I don't want to go further. Let's take a look about my previous comment. Uh, but I don't want to say that Hungary is an awful country with a huge amount of anti-Semitism. I never said that. 
However, anti-Semitism does not begin with the fact that Jews are beaten on the street. Anti-Semitism does not begin with uh, shouting uh, dirty Jew on the street. If you uh, take a look about uh, the history of anti-Semitism, it didn't begin with the Holocaust. It started with uh, articles. It started with uh, political pressure. And if we talk about it, let's see. Uh, I read articles in, uh, in the press about uh, a guy who doesn't go to some of, of uh, the baths because uh, the Jews are there. You know who I'm talking about, I'm sure. He's, he has the party book number five, I think. Part, member of the party, the book number five. Just to be clear who I'm talking about. Uh, just take a look at his uh, work and his articles. Mm. Uh, take a look at the Shorosh campaign which uh, started before uh, the corona started. Uh, I know, okay, this, uh, this Jewish group said that it was not anti-Semitic. I said it was. Let's argue it. Uh, if it was not anti-Semitic, then the Stürmer was not anti-Semitic. The iconography of the Stürmer was not anti-Semitic. Uh, let's talk about the writers who are put in, uh, in the Nemzeti Alaptan Terv. The national uh, syllabus. Yep. Thanks. Tormai Cecil, Vasalbert, Nyirő József. Nyirő, Vasalbert, they were Nazis. Vasalbert was a member of uh, the Nyilas Parliament. Hmm. And of course, the children have to learn their works. Okay, maybe he was a good writer, I don't know. I never read a, a, a sentence from him. But they had to learn his resume, his CV. And during his works, they will learn his ideology. It's not anti-Semitism, but it is. So, uh, from this point of view, okay, I'm, I'm a member of the Majahis. I'm not uh, uh, the member of the group which says that this is the best country. This is not a bad country. I feel fine here, but I see the problems. Uh, and I think that uh, when you see the problems and you cover it, you are guilty. When you see the problems and uh, you open your mouth and try to, to uh, solve the problems, you are a patriot. You're hitting on a very deep problem that is not just Hungary, but everywhere, is if you go back through history and say, well, this writer, this artist, whatever, um, he was anti-Semitic or anti-Black or anti-Roma or whatever the anti happens to be, but at the same time, he was a great artist and his literature, his music, his art is magnificent.
Do you then say, well, because of his political opinions, he has to be forgotten, segregated, removed? Or is there a way to be able to say, well, this is the whole picture, and this is the part that is no longer applicable, or we no longer agree with, or we have moved on from that stage, but we don't want to reject his art at the same time and use it as a kind of teaching point without canceling their work. If uh, his or her art is uh, independent from his or her ideology, you are right. We can say that, okay, for example, Mel Gibson. It's a very poor example. Yeah. But yes. <laughs> <laughs> we're, not, I mean, we're talking about great art here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to be fair. Okay, Herbert von Karajan. Okay, uh, well, I, I feel the distance. <laughs> uh, you can forgive him because his art is independent from his ideology. And of course, uh, everyone has the right to be mistaken. Uh, Shimichka said that everyone has, to be, uh, has the right to be dumb. Uh, everyone has to be the right to be mistaken, to make mistakes. But when your art is the ideology, if you talk about an actor or you talk about uh, a painter or conductor, so on, it, it, it's easy uh, to separate the ideology and the art. But if you are a writer, if you are a poet, it's, it's a little bit harder. It's impossible to separate it. It's difficult when you're going back through historical figures to separate their work from the zeitgeist of the nation, of the people, of the time. And I have no answer myself, certainly. But it's a very difficult problem. It's not so easy. Uh, it depends on how far you go back in time. Uh, if you go back in time, uh, let's say into the middle of, uh, of the last century, it's not so hard. If you go several centuries back in time, it's hard. I agree. I agree. Uh, for example, uh, the anti-Judaic fathers of the church, it was the spirit of their time. They were not anti-Semitic in the way we, we define anti-Semitism today. They, they were anti-Judaic. They fought against Judaism. And if you were converted to, to Christianity, everything was for, uh, forgiven. We're no Jew anymore. But when we talk about anti-Semitism, it's not the same level. When you talk about anti-Judaism, you talk about uh, the religion. If you talk about anti-Semitism, an anti-Semitic guy talks about the race, which is impossible. There's no... There's, there's no uh, they are separate races, there's only one race, the human race, and that's it. No, it's a very good point. If you go back further in time, there was no division and really no concept of race. And so we're getting too academic. Yeah. <laughs> <Please>. <laughs> so in the recent weeks, a statue of Miklos Horty was inaugurated in the Hungarian parliament by Dora Duro, who is the deputy president of the radical right-wing political party called Mihazang, which is in English, our homeland. 
What is your view of the statue in the parliament and more important, how do you interpret Horty's impact on the Jews of Hungary from the 1920s to the 40s? In spite of what I heard about uh, one of our great leaders, that uh, Horty was uh, a great man of state, uh, I think that uh, Horty was responsible for the murder of uh, 600,000 Hungarian Jews. He was responsible for the murder of uh, the second Hungarian army in Ukraine. Uh, he was responsible for the lost World War II here in Hungary. This is my opinion and I have the right to have my own opinion. Uh, about his uh, statue in the parliament, and this lady, she does what he wants. What uh, I'm interested in, the theoretical question, if, uh, let's say, uh, there is a member of the parliament who wants to raise a statue, let's say, Varman Moore, the first uh, Jewish member of uh, the, the Hungarian parliament, he wants to raise a, a statue in the building of the parliament. Would the uh, speaker of the house allow it so easily as he allowed to erect the, the statue of Hori? I think this is the question, if we talk about anti-Semitism. Let me close up by asking for something, something much more on a much more hopeful note than some of the things we've been talking about. We've talked about the issues of assimilation, of Hungarian Jews losing touch with their Jewishness or not even being aware of it, and the fact that so many of them are unaffiliated, um, even those who recognize their Jews. Is there a way to bring them back to the tradition, bring them back to the practice of Judaism? I'm sure that there's a way. The problem is that I don't know this way. Uh, during the break, we had a small discussion we, we spoke about it exactly that uh, right at the time of the political changes in the 90s, we had the chance to, to bring the youth of that time closer to Judaism. And we missed the chance. Every one of us who, who was there at that time, and who was in a position at that time, as a, a beginner rabbi, rabbi uh, myself, I am guilty too in this. We didn't know how to do it. We didn't know what to do. Uh, the youth, they said that uh, they, they just felt that they missed something. But uh, they couldn't articulate what they miss. They couldn't say that we'd want this and this and this because they didn't know that what they wanted. And, and we couldn't figure out what they wanted. So uh, we, we had our own ways and our own old ways, they wanted something new. And we didn't meet. And so uh, I, I feel that today uh, the situation is the same. We have youth who, who miss something from their lives. If it's a Jewish education, I don't know. If it's Jewish history, I don't know. If it's just the spirit of Judaism, I don't know. I try to figure out and I do not success, and they cannot tell me. 
It's a very tough one. This is the global mission of Chabad and has been for a very long time to bring Jews back to the tradition. Yep, and they do it great. Mm -hmm. I have to admit it. Is there something that the neologues can learn from them? We should. We should. It's very hard, you know. Uh, if there would be a cooperation between these two faith groups, it would not be a problem. But uh, when you have this this kind of relationship, what we have, uh, cats and dogs, uh, when you do something they do, they say that you are stealing my methods. Okay, I, I'm stealing your methods. But you steal my people. Mm. That's what they do. They do not shame. Why would I shame? But I am ashamed. I, I'm, I'm not a copycat. The argument, on the one hand, sound, sounds almost you know um, humorous in some ways, but on a on a much deeper level, there is a divide. Taking it out of the Hungarian situation altogether, there is a divide among Jews where the claim of Chabad and the Orthodox is that when there is a conversion, it must be by the Orthodox, and if there's somebody who Intermarry, who marries and converts to Judaism, so they'll be the same religion as the partner. If it's done by a non-Orthodox rabbi or in a non-Orthodox ceremony, they would say that halachically, within Jewish law, they are not Jewish. They have the right to say it. Uh, I have the right as a rabbi to determine whose uh, issue, whose uh, document I accept, and whose document I do not accept. For example, if there's a, a reformed rabbi, I do not accept his uh, documents, his certifications, his hechsher, uh, or her hechsher. But if I have the right to choose, they have the right to choose. So if they say that they do not accept my uh, certification, I'm, I'm not surprised, I'm not feel pissed off and so on, because if I have the right, I give the same right to them. It's not a problem, it's an, an old thing that I accept this guy and I do not uh, accept that guy. I say that this is not Jewish enough, and I say this is more than Jewish. So it's an, an old thing. Is it still the case in Israel that if somebody who has converted in a non-Orthodox way or from a non-Orthodox rabbi makes aliyah and returns to Israel, they are not recognized legally as Jewish? Is that still true? It's a, a little bit different. Uh, if you have a certification from uh, a neologue or a masorti or a reformed rabbi that uh, you are a Jew, the Ministry of Interiors, they accept you as a citizen of Israel. That's under the law of return? Yep. But what about marriage and that sort of thing? Ah, the ah. rabbinate will say that there's some, some mistakes. <laughs> you are not Jewish enough. <laughs> Uh, thank you. Thank you so much for answering all our questions and for your time. Stay tuned for the new episode in our series Judaism and Antisemitism in Hungary. Thank you. Thank you very much.